The idea of making Aliyah comes from this idea that wherever we are in Israel, we're going up to Jerusalem. And wherever Jewish people are scattered in the nations, we're going up to Israel and declare Israel to be your homeland. We're actually physically ascending with the idea that the highest place we can be is in the presence of God in Jerusalem where he's chosen to put his name. Welcome to A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. I'm your co-host, Carly Berna. And I'm Ezra Benjamin. We're a Jew and a Gentile who both believe in Jesus and believe that there is value in looking at history as well as today's world and the headlines through both a Jewish and a Christian lens. Today we're going to talk about something that you may not know a lot about, which is Aliyah. Let's discuss. So Ezra, before I ever worked at Jewish Voice, I had never even heard of Aliyah, and maybe many of our listeners haven't either, or they've heard, you know, some pieces of it or seen it in the news. So how would you explain to those listening, what is Aliyah? Uh, Great question, Carly. And I agree, most of our Christian audience, unless you are already involved in kind of advocating for Israel or uh, even supporting other uh, ministries that exist to be a blessing to to Jewish people. Uh, you may never have heard the word, but let me break it down. Aliyah is a very fancy Hebrew word for immigration to Israel, uh, specifically for Jewish people or the descendants of Jewish people. Uh, what do I mean by that? I'll explain that in just a minute. But uh, really, Aliyah is the process by which this 73-year-old new state on the world map called the modern state of Israel absorbs new immigrants into itself. Israel is what's called, for those who have watched uh, Benjamin Netanyahu address the United Nations or make other very public speeches, he's very intentional to use the word the Jewish state. Now, that doesn't mean that Israel's population is exclusively Jewish. quarter of Israel's population are not Jewish. They're Arab Israelis, uh, many Christians, many more Muslims, but they have Israeli citizenship as non-Jews. But the Jewish state refers to this idea that the mandate to establish the modern state of Israel, which was voted on and approved by only a couple vote margin in 1947 in the United Nations following really coming out of the ashes of the Holocaust, the murder of six million Jewish people and others who were sort of swept up in that in that horror along with them on the outcasts of society. But following the end of World War II and really the the processing on the world stage of the Holocaust, the UN voted, as I said, by just a few votes margin in favor of establishing a Jewish state. And the idea was that the Jewish people have been persecuted. Half of the worldwide Jewish population has been effectively wiped out, has been burnt up or killed or starved to death under Nazi under Nazi Germany, under the Nazi regime. And so it's our responsibility, or we're agreeing with several Jewish leaders' own felt responsibility to establish a safe homeland for the Jewish people. Well, where's that going to be? It's going to be in the ancient homeland of the Jewish people in what was historically biblically known as the land of Canaan, or uh, today, of course, between Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, and Egypt in the Middle East, the modern state of Israel. And so this state is formed, and our audience might be surprised to know Israel actually doesn't have a constitution. You know, sometimes people will say, that that's against the constitution of the state of Israel. Well, there isn't a constitution of the state of Israel. What there is, is a charter established by David Ben-Gurion, uh, many know that name, and several other key 
Jewish and what was known at the time as Zionist leaders. What do we mean by that? People who believed in the formation of a homeland for the Jewish people in the land of Israel as it, is, as it historically existed, according to biblical borders that have been defined for thousands of years. So this Zionist leadership of, of Jewish men and women led by David Ben-Gurion formed this charter document about the state of Israel. And in that charter document, they uh, laid out how people, how Jewish people from around the world could actually become citizens, passport carrying citizens of this new political state, of this new country. And so that charter explains the different ways that somebody is eligible for Aliyah, or again, to, to explain that word, is eligible to immigrate and become a citizen of the modern state of Israel. So before we talk about the qualification application, you said that Aliyah is a fancy Hebrew word. Yeah. This, this week's token word. Um, but is this word used in the Bible or what's the biblical foundation for Aliyah? Yeah. Super good question. And I'll explain it two ways. The word Aliyah really just means like a going up like a, a physical ascending, like you would go up steps or you would go up a mountain. And in synagogue life for centuries, as we've shared a couple times in, in other episodes of the podcast, Carly, uh, the Torah, Genesis through Deuteronomy, is read on a repeating cycle and divided up into 50 or so what's called parashot, or you can think of portions, sounds like parasha. Uh, 50 portions or so that are read throughout the course of the Jewish year. Every Sukkot, we sort of start the cycle over in Genesis. And during Rosh Hashanah, uh, the following September or October, we finish the cycle in Deuteronomy. And then we start it all over again. And you'll invite in more modern synagogues, it can be women as well, but historically, traditionally men of age, meaning they've gone through their bar mitzvah and they're accountable to God to know the Torah and to keep its commandments. You'll invite men up from the synagogue uh, pews to make to do an aliyah, and it really means to come up to the platform, raised you know actually on steps above the rest of the synagogue, and to open the Torah and to read the the portion, the parasha for that for that week's Shabbat service. And so aliyah in that sense just means we're inviting you up. And aliyah in the sense of immigration to Israel comes from the idea, many of you, you know, our Christian audience, as well as our Jewish audience, know the Psalms, right? And they say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Why? Because literally the Temple Mount is built at the summit of steps. You know, you, you would access the gates of the temple from any of the four directions in Bible times when the temple was standing before 70 AD when the Roman Empire destroyed it. And to get to the temple, you literally had to go upstairs. You had to ascend. You had to make Aliyah to go up to get into the presence of God in the temple. And so the idea of come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord was this idea that from wherever you were in Israel, you were eventually going to have to physically ascend to get to Mount Moriah in Jerusalem, where the temple was built, and then physically ascend the steps to get onto the temple platform on what's known as the Temple Mount. So all that to say, the idea of making Aliyah comes from this idea that wherever we are in Israel, we're going up to Jerusalem. And wherever Jewish people are scattered in the nations, we're going up to Israel. We're actually physically ascending with the idea that the highest place we can be is in the presence of God in Jerusalem, where he's chosen to put his name. So that's the, that's the kind of uh, historic linguistic gymnastics behind the word Aliyah. 
but people say, they don't say to do Aliyah or to go on Aliyah. People say to make Aliyah. Why do we say that? I'm not really sure. But if you hear a Jewish person saying, I'm thinking about making Aliyah, what they're telling you is I'm considering the possibility of returning to the land of Israel to become a citizen, to make it my home, not just to go on an Israel tour as millions of Jewish people do from around the world every year, as well as Christians and now Muslims with the peace accords with the Emirates and some other states in the Middle East, but uh, not just to visit, but actually literally to go on a one-way ticket and declare Israel to be your homeland, to make it your country of citizenship. So you mentioned scattered. So there's lots of biblical references about the scattering. So is that is the biblical references about Aliyah related to those? There's some verses I'll, I'll quote here. One is Genesis and the other is Jeremiah. In Genesis 17, 8, God's speaking to Abraham, right? At, you know, and this is before uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and Joseph end up, you know, in, in Egypt and there's 400 years of slavery and the Exodus and the Passover story and the return to the land is an everlasting possession. Before any of this happens, centuries before that, and the conquering of Jericho and Joshua marching in with the armies of Israel, way before any of this, God says to Abraham, the whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. I will be their God. And God repeats this lest we say, okay, well, you know, Abraham had two sons. He had Isaac and he had Ishmael. Therefore, the, the Jews and the Arabs have inherited the land of Israel, the land of Canaan. No, God repeats this a few chapters later to Isaac, not to Ishmael, to Isaac. And then he repeats it to Jacob, not to Esau, to Jacob. And so this land promise and this chosenness with the idea in mind in the, in the mind and heart of God that the Jewish people would be a blessing to all the families of the earth goes Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, not Abraham, Ishmael, not Abraham, Isaac, Esau, but Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And it's carried down, this promise continues through the Jewish people. Why do we know that it remains today? I'm going to give you a simple answer, but don't write it off in its simplicity. God says, as I just quoted Genesis 17, 8, I'll give this land as an everlasting possession or a possession forever to you and your descendants after you. I believe, as I say so often on the podcast, Carly, that when God says forever, he means forever. Why? Because the Jewish people have kept every commandment he's given us? No. We've, we've broken every covenant and commandment he's given us, but because God is the promise keeper. And when we're faithless, he's still faithful. It's a great thing for any in our audience, Jewish or Christian, to, to kind of stick in our back pocket and, and, and stand upon with confidence. And then the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah's job, really, Isaiah's job was to tell the northern 10 tribes in the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, you're going to be exiled under the Assyrian Empire because of your disobedience. And then Jeremiah's job years later is to tell the inhabitants of Jerusalem or the remaining tribes in Israel, you're going to be exiled under the Babylonians because of your disobedience. But God says, I'm going to bring you back. And the language in Jeremiah 29, verse 14 is, I will be found by you, declares Adonai, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. And we saw 70 years after the Babylonian captivity of the southern tribes of the, the southern kingdom of Israel, sure enough, 
just like God said 70 years later, Jewish people under Daniel, under Ezra, under uh, Nehemiah, under Zerubbabel are, are walking back from Babylon, back to Jerusalem, back to the land of Israel. God's kept his promise. And the question, Carly, has been, but what about the rest of us? Okay, God said, you know, a significant portion of Israel would return after 70 years. They did. But what about the northern 10 tribes, often known as the lost 10 tribes? Or what about all the people who didn't return from Babylon, who stayed in Babylon, or who got scattered in other places and to this day live in Europe, in former Soviet Union, in Latin America, in Los Angeles and Phoenix. You know, we're in Phoenix. So there's an exile of Jewish people, if you will, still living in places like Phoenix, Arizona. You know, affluent first world places with palm trees, with great infrastructure. But let's not forget, we're still According to the biblical prescription, if you will, we're still living in exile. We're still in the Jewish diaspora or the the dispersion of Jewish people outside of the place that God said he would give us and our descendants, which is the land of Israel. And so still today, not just 70 years after the exile from Jerusalem, still today there remains these promises about this everlasting possession. And the heart behind Aliyah is to say that God made promises that he's keeping And even today, even in 2021, even in 2025, even in 20 whatever, before we believe Jesus the Messiah is coming back to rule and reign from Jerusalem, God is in the business of keeping his promises, which means he still is prioritizing the regathering and the return of Jewish people to the land of Israel. And so that's the biblical precedent behind the idea of Aliyah, of returning to the land of Israel to make it home, to become citizens. So for those who are interested in making Aliyah, what are the qualifications? Aliyah, or or immigration into Israel, just like all the major functions of Israeli society, are controlled under one of several ministries. So you have the Ministry of the Interior, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the Ministry of National Security, and then you have this, uh, the Ministry of the Interior that I mentioned controls Aliyah, uh, controls immigration to Israel. And the Ministry of the Interior is, I'll say, heavily influenced, both politically and in terms of real governmental authority at this point, by the ultra-Orthodox Jewish community and those in leadership therein. So what does that have to do with our conversation? What that means is that Aliyah is governed based on, according to the Charter Document of Israel and how that's carried out through the modern leadership in the state of Israel 70-some years later, it's controlled either by those who are determined by, by the rabbis to be actually rabbinically Jewish themselves, part of a recognized rabbinic Jewish community, either from birth or through conversion, or those who are called descendants of Jews. So what do we mean by that? And again, we go back to that charter document that Ben-Gurion and his uh, counterparts formed. And believe it or not, some are going to be shocked to hear, how do we determine who's eligible as the descendant of a Jewish person to immigrate to Israel? It was actually written based on the same way that the Nazis determined which Jewish people or descendants of Jews would be eligible because of their Jewish identity or heritage to be taken away and killed in the name of purifying the world from kind of the final Jewish problem, as it was called 70, 80 years ago. So people's right to this day, people's right to return to Israel as Jews or descendants of Jews is measured in the same way that the Nazis determined Jewish identity or Jewish heritage. And that is that you have one or more Jewish grandparents. Well, how do we determine if your grandparents Jewish back to the top, if they're part or they were part in their lifetime of a recognized rabbinically Jewish community? 
And so if somebody's listening and they say, you know, I just, I found out my grandfather's Jewish, his wife wasn't, and my parents didn't live as Jews, am I eligible to, to immigrate to Israel? If your grandfather lived as a part of a recognized rabbinically Jewish community, and you have the paperwork, you know, marriage certificates, uh, bar mitzvah certificates, other paperwork from rabbis or from that synagogue, even if the rabbi is no longer living, and you can demonstrate through a paper trail that your grandfather is the father of one of your parents and one of your parents is the father of you or the mother of you, in this example, you would theoretically be eligible to make aliyah, to immigrate to Israel as the descendant of a Jewish person. It doesn't depend in the case of the descendants of Jews about the lifestyle you're living, whether you subscribe to a Jewish lifestyle or whether you say, ah, I have Jewish heritage. It's that in the same way as the Nazis persecuted those with Jewish heritage, the state of Israel is committed in its charter, in its founding document to be a safe haven and a homeland for people with a Jewish heritage up to the grandparents level. And then, of course, for people who are, we can say, first-generation rabbinically recognized Jewish people who attend a synagogue, who are living a Jewish lifestyle, uh, who have rabbis who recognize their Jewishness and who are willing to write a letter to that regard, they're, of course, also eligible as Jewish people to immigrate to Israel. So what about those who are Jewish in the way that you're explaining, but they also believe in Jesus? It's a great question. And for decades now, Jewish believers in Jesus and many identify as Messianic Jews. It means Jewish people who believe that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of all mankind have been making Aliyah, not necessarily in giant waves, but close family friends of mine, actually extended family of mine are Jewish believers who have made Aliyah, some as, as much as 40, 50 years ago. And there's even Jewish believers who have been in Israel for generations since before Israel was Israel, since it was British Palestine, and before that, since it was part of the larger Ottoman Empire with a Jewish remnant living there. Our audience may not know, you know, and there's so much discussion on whose land is it anyway, and who, you know, the Palestinians were there before the Jews, and the Palestinians were there before the modern state of Israel. It may surprise many of our listeners to know that there has never in history been a time when there hasn't been at least a small Jewish remnant living in and around Jerusalem in the, in the land of Israel. Now, in some cases, it's been very small, but it's never been snuffed out. There's been a continual Jewish presence there uh, for thousands of years. So anyway, I digress. To answer your question, rabbit trail aside, can Jewish believers or Messianic Jews make Aliyah? On paper, according to the Charter of Israel, Messianic Jews are still Jewish people or descendants of Jews, and therefore, yes, they would be protected as Jews or descendants of Jews in the Jewish homeland in the same way as any other Jewish person. That's the way the charter was written, to be a safe haven for all Jews. So you have Jewish Buddhists living in Israel, you have Jewish Orthodox, you have Jewish atheists, you have people who subscribe to Hinduism, you have all uh, flavors and kinds of Jewish people. So what's the deal with Messianic Jews or Jewish believers in Jesus? Unfortunately, in recent decades, and more specifically in very recent years, the Supreme Court, uh, influenced heavily by a very Orthodox Jewish subgroup in Israel that absolutely vehemently, zealously rejects the idea that Jesus can be the Jewish Messiah, has uh, entertained several cases of Jewish people, uh, believers in Jesus, who are trying to make Aliyah, trying to immigrate and receive citizenship in Israel. But during that process, which can be in many cases a multi-year process, it can be as short as 10 days, 
it can be as long as seven, 10, 12 or more years, believe it or not. And in the course of them walking through this process, they've become known to the Israeli authorities or to the rabbinic community in Israel of having a testimony of faith in Jesus. And several of those cases, because at that point they're immigration status was blocked or denied, several of those cases have risen to the highest levels of the courts in Israel, to the Israeli Supreme Court. And quite unfortunately for Jewish believers, the the court has taken action in recent years to say that there's an asterisk to the charter document, to the right of return of Jewish people or descendants of Jews to immigrate to Israel. And the giant asterisk is this. If you're a missionary, then you are considered to have converted away from your Jewish identity to another religion, namely to Christianity. And because you've surrendered your Jewish identity, you're no longer eligible to be a citizen of the Jewish state. Well, somebody might say, I'm not a missionary. I'm not employed by a Jewish missions organization. I don't go out on the street corner and and preach the gospel to Jewish people. You know, I'm just a Jewish believer. The problem is that The term missionary by the Israeli Supreme Court, Carly, was intentionally left undefined. Initially, it was just defined as distributing evangelical or evangelistic literature to Jewish people. But then that definition was expanded. So now the Supreme Court in Israel has given itself the right to define missionary on a case-by-case basis. So, for example, Friends of Jewish Voice Ministries, you know, where you and I both work and a close partner of this podcast— Um, wrote newsletters. They're not necessarily doing missionary activity, directly preaching the gospel to Jewish people, uh, but they wrote newsletters talking about the prophetic promises in the Old and New Testament for the state of Israel. Those newsletters were presented against them in a Supreme Court case in Israel, believe it or not, as being missionary activity, just because they wrote about prophetic promises of the prophets of Israel and then the New Testament writers. So in that case, the term missionary was expanded to mean anybody who even writes about the idea of Israel being impacted with the gospel. So I'm being a bit long-winded on this just to share with our audience that right now in Israel, uh, Jewish believers as applicants for citizenship in Israel have, I'm sorry to say, been targeted for court activity. Why? Because they're not loyal potential citizens of the state because they have some subversive plan, because they don't value their Jewish identity, because they don't respect the rights and religious freedoms of other Israelis of whom they desire to become a tax-paying, army-serving part. No, not at all. But because, as I said, key parts of the Israeli government are still very heavily influenced by the Orthodox Jewish community, who, as a rule, flat out rejects the claims of Jesus, the messiahship of Jesus, and feels so strongly about that, that they actively oppose anybody who does name the name of Jesus and and says, I'm maintaining my Jewish identity as a believer in Jesus, because they believe that person to be a threat to the preservation of Jewish identity, which for the Orthodox and for the larger Jewish community is kind of our chief aim, right? Is this idea of from generation to generation. What does it mean to be Jewish? It means to stay Jewish, even if it costs you your life. And so if your worldview is that Jesus can't be the Messiah, he's the God of the Christians, therefore a Jewish person who receives Jesus has accepted the God of the Christians and converted to Christianity. And now that that new Christian who quote unquote used to be Jewish wants to come to my Jewish friends and family and convince them to do the same, to give up their Jewish identity. You can see how it appears to be a very dangerous thing. And in, in this case is warranted court action. So I'm taking a long time to explain this just so our audience is aware that there is a lot of opposition to the gospel 
in Israel, not from Christians, not from Christians having love and respectful relationships with Jewish people, but opposition to Jewish people who name the name of Jesus and maintain their Jewish identity. Because within that worldview, within that religious system, it is seen as a threat to Jewish identity. And so for that reason, right now, and we hope and pray this will change, and I think, Carly, through the advocacy of evangelicals, this may change in the coming years. Uh, but unfortunately, right now, there's tremendous opposition. If somebody is found to be a believer in Jesus, opposition to them receiving citizenship. It's not impossible, but it's certainly difficult. Yeah, it's unfortunate they see Jewish believers in Jesus as a threat when really we want to support the Jewish people. You know, I just want to take a second to remind our audience, you know, what we do and the way we partner with Jewish Voice Ministries, one way that you can support Israel and the Jewish people is by supporting this podcast and the information that we're bringing, like this content right here. And you can support us by donating to us on our website, a Jew and a Gentile org. You can just give a small one-time donation or a monthly donation. Uh, we've also talked a lot about the coffee that we offer, which comes directly from Ethiopia, which is one of the countries that we serve Jewish people and their neighbors. You can get that coffee to your door as often as you'd like. And if you stay tuned to the end of this podcast, we'll remind you how you can possibly win a free bag of that coffee. So coming back to Aliyah, Ezra, when I think about people, you know, who want to make Aliyah, I'm thinking about people who live in America, who are Jewish, um, and, you know, they want to become a citizen of Israel or perhaps in, in a European country. But are there others in the world that are Jewish that are trying to make Aliyah that we're not thinking about? There are. And, you know, it, it's one thing, like you said, when we think of Aliyah, I think a lot of us have seen the pictures. If you, if you kind of dig around on Google, you'll very quickly find pictures of you know, a community from Boston or a community from Buenos Aires, Argentina, or if you look back 20 years in Google history, 30 years now almost, you're going to find pictures of droves of former Soviet Union evacuees, Jewish people, uh, immigrating to Israel. Over a million Russian-speaking Jewish people came from the former Soviet Union into Israel in the 90s. So to this day, there's Russian signs all over along with Hebrew, English, and Arabic if you drive around Israel, especially in the bigger cities like Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. Uh, that, that's sort of who we, who we typically have in mind, Carly. But if you Google a little bit more, you might find pictures you don't expect to find. And what I mean by that is you might find pictures of people dressed in Ethiopian traditional garb, kind of white, almost Orthodox Christian-looking outfits, big flowing shawls and scarves, giant white turbans on some of the men. You might also find pictures of people who look uh, Burmese or from the Indian subcontinent or South Asian getting off these El Al Israeli Airlines planes kissing the ground. And you say, what on earth is going on? Well, remember, under Isaiah, these northern 10 tribes are exiled under the Assyrian Empire, seemingly never to become, never to be seen again, right? That's how they got the name, the Lost Tribes of Israel. But in God, because he's faithful even when we're not, and that his faithfulness endures forever throughout the, the spectrum of history, what was lost seems to be found in our generation, Carly. So now that there is a state of Israel to make Aliyah or to immigrate back to, all of a sudden, all around the world, as the world becomes smaller and people become more aware of each other's presence, these groups start popping up. The Bene Menasha from Northeast India and Myanmar area. The uh, Lemba tribe is emerging on the scene now from Southern Africa, Zimbabwe, Mozambique, South Africa, etc. 
of course, the Ethiopian Jews that I mentioned from Ethiopia, some across the border of Eritrea, some others even into the Horn of Africa, other emerging Jewish groups saying, hey, we haven't forgotten who we are and we were never lost to ourselves. And hey, state of Israel, we want to talk to you because we think it's time for us to come home. And while those people were laughed out of Israeli consulates and embassies decades ago, now their claims are being entertained and legitimized. And so you have thousands and thousands of what were known before as the lost tribes of Israel actually making Aliyah and returning. Now, they're going to be different than the Bostonian Jewish family who maybe has a million dollars in the bank and says, we just really feel, you know, at synagogue, we were praying, we have this sense in God that it's time to return to the homeland. And they go and they buy, you know, a beautiful four-bedroom condo in downtown Tel Aviv. These lost tribes are coming literally with nothing except a backpack or a suitcase of clothes they could, they had or they borrowed from family. And they're coming to Israel because it's all that they have. And so there is an absorption process in Israel. It's overtaxed right now because of the, the amount of people coming from the third world with Jewish ancestry or current Jewish identity. And so that's a whole other political and economic sociological challenge in and of itself that we won't get into today, but the lost tribes are returning. And so the state of Israel is very committed not only to uh, absorbing those who can sort of pay their way, uh, but absorbing those from the ends of the earth, the most scattered, most downtrodden, most persecuted, most poverty-stricken Jewish communities who Israel recognizes also have a right, if not a mandate, to return to, return to the land of Israel. So what about those who aren't Jewish? For our listeners who are just Christians who love Israel and they want to move to Israel and become a citizen, is that something they're able to do? Also a great question. You know, I've talked to actually last night, my wife who is Israeli and I were sitting with friends of ours and they said, you know, we love Israel. Every time we go on the tour, we have so many friends who are Israeli. Uh, these guys are, are Christians, not with a Jewish background, who love Jesus, love the Lord. Uh, and love the state of Israel and the Jewish people desperately. Um, and they said, hey, we are thinking about retiring and we just want to move to Israel. Awesome dream. Visit whenever you can. Americans, thankfully, I mean, you know, COVID is a reality right now, but unless something dramatic changes, when Israel reopens to tourism, Americans can, can go into Israel up to 90 days at a time, believe it or not. And you just leave and you come back on a tourist visa, thanks to the great relationship under every presidential administration since the founding of the state of Israel that the U.S. has had with Israel. So that keeps relations very good for Canadians as well. For many countries, you can freely come and go, but becoming a citizen is another story. As we said, that at present is reserved for people who are Jewish or who are, as we explained, the descendants of Jewish people or who were born in Israel as non-Jewish people and because by right of birth, such as Arab Israelis, have the right to continue to, to reside in the land where they were born, and they can be citizens as well. A little bit different process in some cases, depending on everybody's circumstances. But the idea of, Amer of an American Christian just saying, I'm going to, you know, can I pay for citizenship? Can I wait for citizenship? Can I apply for citizenship? The short answer, there's always exceptions based on unique circumstances. The short answer is no. Uh, people have stories, you know, there's there's people who have stood with the people of Israel for like 30 years who have invested tens of millions into the development of the infrastructure of the state or who moved to Israel four decades ago, bought land and just lived there. And that's where they've made their home. In many cases, they have permanent residency or citizenship, but that was as exceptions to the rule they were grandfathered in. But the short answer by and large is can an American 
Christian who loves Israel become a citizen? Generally not, because again, Israel is protecting its identity and its demographic as quote unquote, the Jewish state. So we've learned a lot about Aliyah, what it means, what the biblical support is, who qualifies, you know, how it works. But for our listeners who are Christians, why is it important for them to really understand this concept? Yeah, you know, I think if you're standing with Israel and the Jewish people, it's important to understand who is Israel, right? And Israel is a nation of over 7 million people, uh, about 25%, as we said, Arab, but the vast majority Jewish or descendants of Jews living as Jews. Israel as a state is made up of Israel, the people, and the people of Israel are the people who were scattered to the ends of the earth and who have been brought back. And so if you're standing with Israel, you're standing with Russian Israelis, Ethiopian Israelis, Indian and Burmese Israelis, American Israelis, Canadian Israelis, uh, South African Israelis, in some recent years, Chinese Israelis, believe it or not, Chinese uh, Jewish groups who, who, are, who are making Aliyah and returning. So I think it's important for our audience to understand that Israel really is, like America was you know, a century or so ago, a nation of immigrants. Israel is built on the backs of immigrants who had a dream in their heart, or we can say who responded to the dream in the heart of God to quote unquote, come home and make Israel their home. The, the promised land given to our ancestors to make that home again, now that it is a state they can be a citizen of and enjoy the rights and freedoms and the safety and protection afforded by the, the state of Israel and its government. So that's standing with Israel is standing with the people. That's who the people are. They are immigrants. They are olim, which is another version of the word aliyah. Olim are those who go up to the land of Israel. And secondly, Carly, it's more kind of a devotional thought, but I think it's, it's, it's practical. The, the very existence of the state of Israel, let alone the inhabitation by Jewish people of Jerusalem once again, after 2,000 years outside of it, and the rapid, increasingly rapid return of Jewish people from literally the ends of the earth, the farthest places from Israel to Israel, isn't a testimony to the ingenuity of Israel or how great the state is or the people or how courageous these people are to take this step and move to another country. It's a testimony to the faithfulness of God, who, as we already shared from the scriptures, said, I'm going to do this. I'm giving you this land forever. And though I scattered you and though you deserved it in my mercy and in my faithfulness, I'm going to bring you back. So we need only look at this. How do we know God's a, a promise keeper, a covenant keeper? Look at the state and the people and the immigrants of, of the state of Israel, Jewish people returning from all over the earth. And that should be an encouragement to all of us as believers that the God who made promises is faithful to keep those promises, even when it takes thousands of years for him to do it. Yeah. And as you said many times before, the Jewish people have broken a lot of those promises, but God has always been so faithful to them. Right. So to our audience, thanks so much for listening. As I mentioned before, we have the opportunity for you to enter to win a bag of our Lost Tribes coffee. You can do that by texting JG to 474747. We pick a winner every month so you can enter each month. And if you win, we'll send you a bag of that coffee for free. If you want to hear more episodes of this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It also really helps us if you leave us a review, share this podcast with someone you know. You can follow us on social media at the handle A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. You can engage with us there, ask questions. We have episodes where we answer your questions, so please do that. Thanks again so much for listening and join us next week for another episode. 
This show is a production of Jewish Voice Ministries International. 